Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to, great to be here with you. Great to sing again. Uh, and uh, I look forward to the day when we can have no masks, we can sing, we can do everything as normal. But, but for now, it's just great to be back singing. Um, how about we pray as we look at this, this passage? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning to our hearts so that we would live the lives that you want us to live for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, I was uh, listening to a sermon from a friend of mine named Ian Powell, and he talked about when he first became a Christian. He became a Christian in uh, his late teenage years and he was going out with a girl at the time and he went over to her place to share the news. And so he said to her, I've become a Christian. And she got up out of a seat and started pacing back and forth across the room and quite, quite agitated. And then she stopped after about a minute of this and she said, you know this changes everything. And he goes... Oh, I don't think it does. She goes, no, it, it absolutely changes everything. You, you see, my life is centered around what I want. Your life is now centered around Jesus. It's going to change everything. And what, what Ian found out later was that she was right. It did actually change everything. And in fact, if you are a Christian today, you've gone through a radical change that has changed every area of your life that every area of your life now comes under the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, and listen to the way the Bible describes the change that you have gone through. The Bible says that if you have become a Christian, if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, you have gone from death to life. If you become a Christian, you have gone from being lost to being found. If you are a Christian, you have gone from being blind to being able to see. Uh, those metaphors speak of a radical transformation, an absolutely radical transformation that is yours. If you are here and you're figuring out where you're at with Jesus, you don't call yourself a Christian. It's great that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. What I want you to know is that if you become a Christian, Jesus is not just something you kind of hitch to the kind of periphery of your life. No, he comes into the center of your life and changes everything. It is a radical transformation. And one of the ways that, that Jesus radically transforms your life is in the area of relationships. And I actually think uh, this passage, in fact, Romans 12 to 14 is about the changes that Jesus makes in your life when you really get his grace and his gospel. And we're going to see that this radical change is also outlined in, in chapter 13. We're going to see three things as we look at this passage. We're going to see a radical relationship to the state, a radical relationship to others, and a radical relationship to the future. A radical relationship to the state or the government, a radical relationship to others, and a radical relationship to the future. Let's have a look at verse 1 as we look at the first point, a radical relationship to the state. Now, verse 1 of chapter 13 says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority established, sorry, except that which, has, which God has established. 
the authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, notice there's a very, very clear command. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Let everyone be subject to the government, to the structures that be. But why? But why? Well, there's that word, the governing authorities have been established by God. That whether you, you like the government or not, whether you voted for them or not, God is sovereign in bringing governments to, to rule and fall. That's the whole point of Daniel chapter 4, because the Lord is sovereign over the kingdoms of man and gives them to whoever, whoever he wishes. See, the first thing that we've got to realize when we're thinking about what the Bible says about uh, politics and, and our relationship is we've got to realize that the Bible is, from cover to cover, a significantly political book. It is hugely political, but not in the way we think about it. The Bible speaks of a theocracy. That is, God is the one that ultimately reigns and rules. Now, there's not one country in this world that would say, oh, we're a Christian nation and therefore we just take what we think, what the Bible says, and we do it. There's not one question, not one a nation that does that. But the Bible says very clearly that Jesus is the one that reigns and rules. And one day, every single political leader will bow to him at the end of days. It doesn't matter if it's Morrison or Mandela. It doesn't matter if it's Perrottet or Putin. It does not matter if it's Biden or Bush, Trump or Trudeau, Keating or Kennedy. All will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. He is the one that reigns and rules. And secondarily, he is the one that gives the governing authorities their authority. And that's why Paul is saying you need to submit to them. Because in submission to them, you are obeying the God who puts them in place. And therefore, rebelling against them is, is a sense in which you are rebelling against God. Now, here's, here's the question. When I've been talking with people this week, the first question everyone asks is, do I have to submit in everything? Or I, 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 Kate and I run a Bible study with university students. You know how university students, they, don't wanna, they, they, they just want to rebel all the time, don't they, right? You know? um, and, and so it was very, very interesting that the first question always was, oh, yeah, or, or the first statement was, well, I don't have to submit to the, to the government and everything. What about this? What about this? What about this? And if we're honest, that's what we ask. That's what we say all the time. Yeah, but what about this? What about this? Now, very clearly, the, the, there's some... In, in the Bible, there are instances where people go against what the government or the state or the king or the ruler or whatever says, right? Because the ruler there, there in those passages are either asking them to do something that they shouldn't do, that God forbids, or they're asking them to, uh, to do or not to do something that God commands. So, for example, if, if the government of Australia said we cannot worship God or we would go to jail if we did. What would we do? We would disobey that, right? Or if they said to do something totally unethical that the Bible says not to do, we would, we would disobey that too. 
But here's the thing. I think when our hearts ask the question, well, where don't I have to submit to the authority of God, oh, sorry, the authority of the state, doesn't that actually show our hearts hate submitting to authority? And Aussies hate submitting to authority, don't we? The first church in Australia was burnt down. Think of who's one of our greatest heroes, Ned Kelly, a bushranger. You, you know, it, it's so interesting that, especially in Australia, we, we do not like authority, and that stems from our human condition. We are from the cradle to the grave, authority haters. Have you ever said to your kid, hey, can you clean up your room? And, and then your kid, I'm sure your kid says this to you, oh, mum or dad, thank you for telling me that. I will gladly do it. And please tell me how I can serve this great family more. Has, has, has anyone's kids ever said that to you? No, if they're anything like my kids, you know, I, it's like I've asked them to do the worst thing in the world. They hate it. Because right from the cradle, right through to the grave, we are authority haters. We want to think of when we can practice civil disobedience. But Paul is saying, first and foremost, you should practice civil obedience, not civil disobedience. Why? Because God has instituted the government. God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And therefore, because he has asked us to obey them, as Christians we do. And yet, what, does the, what do governments do? Well, have a look at verse 2 with me. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Here we have what the government is there to do, the mandate that God has given them. They are to create civil harmony. They are to create laws and police those laws so people obey them, so our world is a safer and more just place. They are meant to create peace, bring justice and rule. Now, can I just say, we can think of so many instances where that doesn't happen. But Paul is not trying to go into every instance where it does or doesn't happen. He's saying, this is what the government is meant to do. And can you see how this passage on one level helps us in the polling booth, doesn't it? We should be asking which political candidate is actually going to society where people can be free because that's what they're meant to do. 
See, both the church and the government, God has given a mission. The church has been giving a redemptive mission. That is, that we're meant to preach the gospel so that people will come to know Jesus. The government is given a common good mission so that there is a common good. There is peace and freedom in the land. The church is meant to preach the righteousness that God brings. The government is meant to bring about what I would call a civil righteousness. And so what are we meant to do in response? We're meant to stay in line with their laws. And finally, in chapters, uh, in verses 6 and 7, he says, pay your taxes. Why should you pay your taxes? Because you should pay your taxes because it supports the government that God has put in place. That's what you should do. Now, no one likes paying taxes, but can you see in what Paul is saying, taxes are a good thing because they support the government in creating, hopefully, a civil order. But I think there are two issues to come from this, especially in our culture. First of all is this. One of the things is Aussies, I'm not sure if you've seen, seen this, but we like to pay our, out on our government like anything. It doesn't matter who is in, in, um, who's in power. It doesn't matter, it seems like, like what political party. It, it, it's, it's very common for us as Aussies to really rag on the government and say we don't like them and to talk about all the things that they're doing wrong. What I think Paul is saying is instead of paying out on your government, respect your government. Why? Because it's been instituted by God. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul will say that we should pray for those who are in leadership over us. So don't pay out on the government, pray for the government. The, the other problem in our society is this, that because we've put, pushed God out of the centre, we have made politics our religion. We look to political figures as our saviours. And if they don't come through for us, we are extremely disappointed or disillusioned. And the other thing, the other thing with this is that politics for so many people has got an ethical ring. That is to say that if you don't support my politics, you're an evil person. I remember about seven years ago, I was in a town hall meeting in Newtown and people could, could get the microphone and say what they want. And uh, I, I got up and the person b b in front of me got up and had this big long rant and he said at the end, I think we should make sure that no one who votes conservatively should be allowed to own land in Newtown because all conservatives are extremely evil people. And people clapped. And then I got up and I said, I'm an evangelical pastor. And I was like, it was really weird, right? But on one side, you know, he's saying conservatives are evil. I've talked to people who are conservative and they would say progressives are evil or that kind of thing. What has happened here? Instead of taking our morals from God, we have picked two sides, right? And we have elevated politics to a religion. And so it really, really, really matters on an ethical, moral, almost supernatural level which side of the fence you're on. 
But if God is sovereign over the kingdoms of man and gives them to every he wishes, we realize that we don't divide over politics. We submit to the Lord Jesus and people are given freedom in their political affiliation. When I was in uh, a pastor of a church in Newtown, I remember the week before Tony Abbott was last elected. Um, it, it was, the election was happening on a Saturday and I, on that Monday morning, was terrified for that Sunday because we had a very politically fractured church. And one of the things that I've always done is I've planned out the preaching plan a year in advance. So, for example, I know what, what we we're going to preach on next October, the, thir- the third Sunday in October, if I have my computer here. So I had it planned. And I was scared because we had a politically fractured church that, that um, people were campaigning for Labor and some people for the Liberal and some people for the Greens. And I was thinking, what am I going to say on Sunday? And then I looked at what I was preaching on. I was preaching on Daniel 4. In God's sovereignty, he had orchestrated it so that in, my, in this tiny church, I was bringing before them one message that the Lord is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them who, to every wishes. So we don't, we do not as a church divide over politics because we are under the lordship of King Jesus. And that's the same in this church. We don't divide over politics because we are under the lordship of the King Jesus. And we want a flood of people to come, Christians in this church, from any political party. And so we are united under the King King Jesus and we don't divide over politics. Let's move on to our second point and I just want to bring you some relief that these next two points aren't as long as the first one. Okay? Let's have a look at our radical relationship to others. Let's have a look at verse 8 with me. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What is Paul saying here is this. How are you meant to live? Live a life full of love. You want to do what Jesus says to do? Love others. If you want to fulfill the, the whole Old Testament law, here's what you should do. Love others. Love others as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I remember talking to my kids. Uh, I, I, I said, you know, as Christians, we should love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and our, my kids were like, oh, that's really good. That's really easy for us. And I was like, why is that? And, I said, well, and they said, well, we don't have any neighbors because on one side of the fence is tennis courts. Over the back, there's no one living there. And the other side is just this empty thing where the water, water we can do. We can nail this. And I said, no, no, no. A neighbor is anyone you come into contact with. You're meant to love them. And what that means is you're meant to put them first before yourself. That's what loving your neighbor is, whoever you come into contact with. And then they they came back to me and said, oh, Dad, that's really, really hard. 
I said, yeah, it is. This is really hard. But remember, Jesus first loved you by giving, your, giving up his life to save you. That's how he loved you. And therefore, we give up the special things, the important things, to love others. I, I think one of the ways that we can love today is with our time and with our listing when we combine those two things together. Let me, let, let me tell you what I mean. I think in, in our society today, we are so time poor. We are extremely time poor. And therefore, we don't give time to really listen to people. The other thing about listening is, I think a lot of the time, we are listening and trying to figure out how we're going to respond instead of just listening without judgment. We're trying to figure out, well, how can I respond? How can I do this without really hearing the other person out well? Because a lot of the time, when we need to listen to other people, it's going to make us feel uncomfortable. We either will, uh, you know, when, when we're talking with other people, when they really need to be listened, they're usually sharing something painful for them, something really deep for them, some maybe some sin in their life or something that's hurt them. Or maybe they're bringing before us something that we didn't do. And in those situations, we want to get out of that awkward feeling instead of sitting there and listening without judgment. One of the hardest things you can do. But if you want to love people, practice that. I remember in the uh, start of 2011, um, my dad was, was dying with cancer. And I went to, went to more college. I was finishing up one subject there. And um, I ran into a friend of mine that I've known for about 10 years up to that point. And he said, how are you going? I said, oh, not great. Uh, you know, my dad's dying of cancer. And he said to me, uh, God works for the good for those who love him and kind of slapped me on the shoulder and said, you'll be fine and kept going. I was like, I, what am I meant to do? You gave me a, a verse that, yeah, sure, I know. I don't know what I'm meant to do with that. Then I, then I took a, um, took a, took a, uh, a subject and went to class with a guy named Paul Barnett. Paul Barnett was a great historian, great, great theologian, great, uh, great writer. And at the end of the class, I was asking him some questions about what he, what he, what he lectured on. And um, he said, why don't we talk over lunch now? We, we can go to lunch. I said, no, sorry. Um, I, I've got to run off and do some things. My dad, uh, you know, is, is really sick with cancer. He's passing away. I was just back in Maury. I have to, I'm really behind on a bunch of stuff. And he goes, oh, you brought, your dad's sick with cancer. I'm so sorry to hear that. How are you doing? And for the next 10 minutes, I just shared with him and he um, he just asked me questions and said how can I help you what can I be doing it's interesting we shared we swapped some um, email addresses later I get an email from him asking me how my dad's doing he told me that I've, he's been praying for me he listened to me without judgment he prayed for me, even though he's extremely busy. Who was I loved more? 
who, who was I loved by more? My friend who I've known in 10 years or this, this very, very important scholar that I just met? It's obviously Paul Barnett, that a very important scholar. How are you going at listening without judgment? To really listen to people. Lastly, let's have a look at this radical relationship to the future. In in verses 11 to 14, he says that Jesus is coming back. Have a read of verse 11 with me. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So what, what he's saying is the night of, of this present age is almost over. Jesus is coming back. This is going to be a new age. It's almost here. And, and he says, so therefore, how, how should we live? totally differently. So let us put, a, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. What is he saying here? He's saying because Jesus is coming back, that changes your relationship to how you live. It changes the way you think about the future. And see, for Paul here, it, it, Jesus coming back is not just something that's going to give us solace in hard times, like we say, hey, don't worry, one day Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. Even though that's true, it does bring us solace. It, it, it's far more than that here. He is saying because Jesus is coming back, that changes the way you live now, in every area of your life right now. And and he says, it's totally different. Now that Jesus has come back, because of your future, your behavior changes now. See, it's a bit like this. I remember a number of years ago, I was at a gym in Newtown, and there was this one particular personal trainer. She was about literally that tall, but her voice was booming, right? And she used to yell and scream at her, her people that she was training but they always used to come back. I don't know why, but anyway, maybe she just got results. I remember there was this one lady, obviously she hadn't uh, been come to a gym and she, was, she just looked really nervous. And, she, and this little personal trainer came in and she put a life-size uh, poster of Catherine Heigl up, you know, the, the actress. And, and she boomed so that pretty much everyone can hear. Do you know, her, do you know what this picture is? She go, and the lady said, that's Catherine Heigl. She goes, yeah, it's Catherine Heigl. And you know what? She wears a size 10 dress just like you want to wear. And, and you know what you can do? As long as you work out and you stick to the thing, you can, you can come into a size dress too. You will do that and then you'll feel far more fantastic. Then you will reach your goals all because that is your future. That is your future right there. You've got to change now you've got to work out five times a week you got to eat well and, and it was so inspiring that like the lady who she was yelling at was in tears and everyone was listening I was so inspired that I thought man maybe I can fit into a size 10 dress too it was amazing but what she was saying was here is your future therefore you've got to act differently now here's what Paul is saying is the return of the Lord Jesus is your future therefore act differently now in every single way. And here's the thing. We have a read of those verses, where verse 13, where it says, oh, you know, carousing and drunkenness, don't do all those things, debauchery, that kind of thing. 
And we can have a conversation after church with a friend going, how's your debauchery going? Oh, I don't do it. Oh, well, we've nailed Romans 13, but I don't think he's saying that. If you have a look at Roman culture back in the day, it was a very debauched culture. He's pointed out the things in Roman culture that, that are so antithetical to the gospel. I don't think he would necessarily say to us here at Marsfield Community Church these things, Paul. I think he would choose different things because the point is not, not, it's not like don't do these specific things. The thing is, clothe yourself with Christ, and when, which is in verse 14. And when you do that, what will happen is you will stick out from any culture you're a part of. And so, your work culture. I, I, I hope, I assume that it's not carousing in drunkenness and for debauchery. But I dare say at your, at your work, there, are, there is cultural practices there that, that may be very subtle, but are in hostility to the gospel. Maybe at your work culture, everyone lives for money and to get more of it. Well, what are you going to do as a Christian, as a person clothed yourself, who's clothed themselves with Christ? What are you going to do? You're going to be generous with your money because Jesus has been generous to you. Maybe at your work, it's all about climbing the corporate ladder and pushing yourself ahead so that you look fantastic and you can get that promotion. Well, what are you going to do there? Well, Jesus would want you to be humble as he has been. He would want you to find your identity in Him, not in the things of this world. What, what, What cultures are you part of and what parts of those cultures are antithetical, antithetical to the gospel? What Paul is saying, I think, here is clothe yourself with Christ and be different from the culture that you're in because of the Lord Jesus returning. We are called as Christians to be radically different. Why? Because once we were God's enemies, now we're his children. Once we went from, we went from being under his wrath to now being surrounded by his love. We went from having no hope to now we've got an eternal hope. We went from having no spirituality at all to having, being filled with the Holy Spirit. God has changed us and therefore we are different. I told you a story about Ian Powell at the start of the sermon. Let me finish with the end. Uh, that girlfriend that he had that said everything's going to change, uh, a few months into Ian becoming a Christian, she sat down with him and said, do you know what your friends are saying about you? And he goes, no. And he said, uh, she said to him, your friends are saying the old Ian in, that's changed in every way. Wouldn't it be amazing that if all of our friends could see such a difference in our lives, that they see this radical shift that Jesus has made in your life, that because of what he has done, because of the grace that he's shown to us, we are different in every area of our lives. That's what Jesus is calling you to be like today, all for his glory, all because of what he has done for you. Are you going to live in response? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that Jesus has died for us and therefore we are called to live 
radically different lives. I pray that we would do that for your glory. Amen. 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 Let's stand together and sing in Christ alone.